This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. I have to brace myself. That door is about to open and my blood is going to boil. Jake, is that the kind of shirt you're wearing? The minute she speaks, I realize why we ended. Say hi to my ex. The woman who puts the cry in critical. Her words grate on my eardrums like a moldy piece of cheese. You only get one life to live, and this is what you're doing with it? It's the road I like to travel. It's moments like this I crave silence. I wish I had a device that could put her on mute. If only that was the way to deal with those people. Okay, that was funny, right? <laughs> well, it's funny if it's not you. That, that's the deal. Hey, good morning. Welcome. Uh, we are in the middle of a teaching series called Those People, and we've looked at three different kinds of people, the, the chronically needy, the manipulative, and the hypocritical. Today, we turn our gaze toward the critical people. And uh, we've noted that these are all extra grace required kind of people and probably... The, one of the more disturbing uh, discoveries that we're making as we go along is that from time to time, we are those people, right? Yeah, and I want to tell you, I hope that your goal this morning is to learn how to live in such a way that you're not one of those people. We're not here to throw stones at those people, but what we are here to do is to learn how to have healthy answers for how we can relate to those people because those are God's children too. And and when we get in those places, we want people to relate to us well. And so welcome to that journey every Sunday at New Life. We focus on some really important life skill because we are God's children. He has a life that he has created for us that he would love for us to step fully into. And that's the reason that Jesus came. He said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And so every Sunday at New Life, we work on what that fullness of life that God has for us might look like. And we just sang some wonderful, wonderful prayers. You're a good, good father. And and he is. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. And here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. And so over the next few minutes, we're going to take a look out of God's word at some things that will help us learn how to live the life that he has for us. I'd like to draw your attention, especially if you're new to New Life, to a couple of things inside your program. And the first is this sheet of notes. I want to say welcome to you. My name is Ron. I am New Life's teaching and mentoring pastor. And over the next few minutes, I will get to guide us through some really important concepts out of the Bible and from the teachings of Jesus and other people that God used to write the Bible. This sheet of notes will guide you through what I'm going to be teaching. I would encourage you. It will definitely enhance your learning experience if you will take the time to fill in the blanks and write in some other things that I will give you as we go along. And then the second uh, thing that I would like to draw your attention to is this card. We find it works best, church works best, when the people who come have some form of immediate access to the pastoral staff and vice versa from time to time. And so this Start Here card is what enables that to happen. So right now, if you will put 
your name and contact information in the box on the front. That way on the back uh, toward the end, I'm going to give us an opportunity to indicate what our next steps are. And there's ways that you can sign up for things in our church and so forth. So uh, begin by putting your name and your contact information there. Uh, and then we will collect those toward the end of our teaching time. You have probably noticed that I have a few objects up here, including a Barbie car down here. No sermon would be complete without a Barbie car, all right? So this will be a little bit of fun. I want, I want to begin by teaching us the principle of the tube. I have four what appear to be identical tubes up here, and uh, they may or not be identical. I painted the labels on them because uh, sometimes labels can be deceiving. So for, for the purposes of the morning, these are all generic. And the interesting thing about what's in a tube is you never fully know for sure what's in a tube until you put it under pressure and squeeze it, right? And then whatever comes out, that's what's in it. When it comes to critical people, I've noticed this. Critical people have a way of putting the squeeze on us. That ought to be slightly um, revealing for all of us. Because when critical people come into our lives, they have this way of putting pressure on us. And sometimes it's not the best that comes out of us. Now, here's the interesting thing about critical people. It would be nice if they all wore a label that says, caution, I am a critical person. But they don't usually wear that label. They wear labels like this. It says dad. It could say mom, right? It could say parent. Sometimes they wear the label sister or brother and sibling. Sometimes they wear the label mate. You notice the dude, Jake? That was his ex. I'm pretty sure she might have fit into that category. And sometimes they wear the label boss. They could, they could wear almost any label But the interesting thing about all four of these is they're very difficult to escape. You don't get the option in life to kick your brother or your sister out of your family. You don't get the option in life, you know, to say, Hey, uh, God, could I trade in my dad for a different one? Because I'm not liking this one very well. Um, You're not supposed to have the option in life to trade in your mate. We're, We're learning that. And, and sometimes in life, you're sort of stuck with your boss. These are people that put the pressure on us, and I'm not going to teach this particular principle this morning. I'm just going to expose you to it. One of the interesting things about these people is they have a tendency to set our, our to zero out our critical scale in the wrong place. And, and we end up thinking that what's a normal level of criticism is actually really an unhealthy level of criticism, or vice versa. What is a very unhealthy level of criticism is seems normal to us. And then we replicate that down through the generations. Different topic for a different time. But that's the principle of the tube, and I tell you that mostly because as you go through this week, if you tend to find yourself critical, huh, guess what? Whatever's coming out was already in there. That's the deal. So 
There are two things that tend to make us critical, two internal feelings that tend to make us critical, and they are this, guilt and insecurity. So when we tend to be critical, we'll come back to this in a little bit, but I want to point you to a passage in the Bible where you can see it. It's a story that most of us are familiar with, and probably all of us to some degree, when God originally set up the Garden of Eden and he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he said, you can eat of any tree except for this one. And they they decided that they would eat from that tree. And that's where we'll pick up the story here in Genesis chapter 3. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, does that sound peaceful and romantic? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Are they feeling a little bit insecure? Sure they are. Maybe a little guilty too. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Now, so far, Adam is telling the truth. Okay. Now, God says, who told you that you were naked? And notice this, now that Adam is feeling guilty and very insecure, and God asks a very simple question, Adam turns critical in one shot. He throws God and his wife under the bus in one sentence. Here it is. God says, have you eaten the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replies, it was the woman you gave me who who gave me that fruit, and I ate of it. Isn't that amazing? When we get guilty and when we feel insecure, it's so easy for us to all of a sudden become critical of everybody and everything around us. Now listen, Adam squeezed his own tube. You got it? And what was in there came out. Now it's a huge subject. And this morning we're going to look at it by asking and answering three questions. And they are the broad macro scale questions that have to do with this field of criticism and critical people. And we're going to find, as we look at the subject of criticism, that the key to handling it well is is looking at it properly. Because if we look at critical people and criticism through the right lens and we take the right viewpoint of it, um, this can actually be quite good in our life. But if we look at it the wrong way or through the wrong lens, it can become very destructive, not only to us, but to the people around us. So let's ask and answer three questions. The first question is, what should I do with critical people? The second question is, what should I do with truthful criticism? And the third question is, what should I do when I, when I become critical? Okay, so let's start with the first one. What should I do with critical people? Well, here's the answer. The the answer is that I should look closely. And I brought along a magnifying glass just so that you will remember what it means. We use a magnifying glass to look at something closely. And, And the Bible lays this out for us. Let's take a look at a passage of Scripture. It's actually four different verses. And you'll notice that there's a juxtaposition between a person who is foolish in life and a person who is wise. And it has to do with how they look at the criticism they receive. Fools think their own way is right. You know what they do with the magnifying glass? They toss it. I don't need to listen to what people say to me. I don't need to look at it. I don't actually even need to evaluate it for truth because I know what is true. I know what is right. I'm good. I don't need your help. Thank you. 
So fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when what? Insulted. Wow. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. Now some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Truthful words stand the test of time, but lies are soon exposed. Now, the author of that particular passage, Solomon, is trying to get us to tune into a really important principle in life, and that is there's a lot of input that comes our way in life. Some of it is true. Sometimes, much of it, even most of it is true. Sometimes, much of it, even most of it is not true. But one of the great challenges in life in order to live successfully is developing the ability to determine truth from error. Some of us have a natural tendency, I think maybe all of us do sometimes, to differentiate between truth and error as truth is what I like, error is what I don't. So if you tell me I'm tall, dark, and handsome, I'm all over that. Some of you have figured out that might not be true. Yeah. You see, the interesting thing is, what do we use to determine whether something is true or not? I can remember my father saying to me, Ron, you need to listen to your enemies because sometimes they will tell you things your friends don't have the guts to. But here's the interesting thing about enemies. They never package the truth well. In fact, they tend to take the truth and they tend to put little barbs and hooks and things on it that make it hurt. And there's a real challenge. Kevin reminded me that Dave Ramsey oftentimes says, criticism is like a nut. You have to, you have to work to crack the shell to get it open to actually get whatever is good that's on the inside of it. But if you take it at face value, if I were to hand you an almond and say, here, eat this, this is really good for you, but it was still in the shell and you put the shell in your mouth and started munching, it would not be long before you handed it back to me and said, I don't know what you find in that, but I don't like that. Because you didn't actually get to the good part. And that's the way criticism is. And so the illustration is a magnifying glass. No matter who says, whatever they say to you or about you, you would be well served to get out a magnifying glass and look at it closely and determine what is actually true. Because that's what you should do with critical people. They can be an asset if you hang on to only what is true and if you fully let go of everything That's not true. But if we're not emotionally healthy, here's what we tend to do. Here's here's a nut. And in this case, it's given to us by an enemy. So it's 10% true and 90% untrue. But the 90% that is untrue is an insult and it's demeaning And if we listen to it, it'll be debilitating. And when we let that message ring in our ears, 
instead of hearing the 10% that's true, what do we hear? We hear the 90% that hurts. And that leads us to our first prayer. And the first prayer is this, God, help me hang on to only what is true. By the way, one of the application points in the teaching this morning is I will listen to the podcast of this message again this week. I realize I'm going to give us a lot of things to think about, probably more than you can process in the next 20 minutes or so. So I want to encourage you, uh, if God speaks to you at all through this teaching, please take the time this week to go back and listen again because there are little points and things all scattered all through this that will serve you well. But one of those is how to let go of that 90% and hang on to only what is true. Let's go to question number two. What do I do with truthful criticism? Well, the answer is, look ahead. There's an amazing thing about criticism that can become so debilitating and yet so helpful depending upon how we look at it. Let's first of all go to the passages of Scripture. And Proverbs chapter 13 verse 18 says, if you ignore criticism, you will end up in poverty and disgrace. If you accept correction, you will be honored. You can't miss that juxtaposition, right? No one wants to end up in disgrace. Everyone wants to be honored. And the author here says one of the things that separates those who end up in disgrace from those who end up being honored is how they handle criticism. Actually, truthful criticism. There's a few more passages. Let's take a look at them. If you listen to correction, you will grow in understanding. Now, that's sort of interesting because the word grow has to do with the future, not with the present or the past. Growth takes place over time, and you can't say, well, I'm going to grow in my past. No, you can only grow in the future. There's something very future-oriented about the concept of how we should look at criticism. Let's look at another passage as well. If you correct the wise, they, what's the next word? Will. Is that past, present, or future? That's future. They will be all the wiser. Now, I've chosen this lovely Barbie vehicle because cars have a windshield and a back window. And the interesting thing about what we tend to do with criticism is we tend to define criticism in these terms. We tend to look through the back window And when you take criticism and you look backwards with it, it always leads to regret. But when you take criticism and you look forward with it, it always leads to hope. So when someone says something to you and it's truthful about something you did and some way something you did could have been done better, if you look backwards, you'll tend to define it as if only I had. If you take that and you look forward with it, you will tend to define it in next time I will. 
I want to suggest that we trade the if only I had for the next time I will. When we take criticism and look backwards with it, we tend to, we tend to state it like this, I should have. But when we look forward with it, instead of saying I should have, we can say those words, I will. And it's what turns, even, even if it comes from our enemy, it's what turns criticism into something great that's in our lives. And God would always have us hang on to what is true, but once we decide what is true, instead of looking back with it, to look forward, instead of looking through the back window, it's important that we look through the windshield. And that leads us to our second prayer. And here it is. God, help me use criticism to improve my future. You could write this in the margin of your notes. Looking back leads to regret. Looking forward leads to hope. And one of the best ways to deal with criticism is to receive what's true and look forward with it. There's a third question that we were going to peruse. Not only what do I do with critical people and what do I do with truthful criticism, but what should I do when I become critical? Anybody here do that? Of course, we all do. Listen, <clears throat> when I become critical, I want to point back to the principle of the tube. No one in the world can make me critical. When I become critical, it's an indicator that I put something in the tube that shouldn't be there. That I've got going, something going on on the inside that should not be there. And if I don't deal with what's going on on the inside, it's just going to get worse. Oftentimes, what we think is, oh God, if you could just put a filter on my mouth. Have you ever, have you ever thought that would be really wonderful? So that no matter what you said, God translated it and it came out wonderful. You know what God says? The filter is a great idea. But don't put it on your mouth. Put it on your heart. you got to monitor what's going on in here. Now what are the two feelings that we talked about that tend to make us critical? Insecurity and guilt. Let's take a look in the book of Daniel, and you'll see this principle in operation in Daniel chapter, in Daniel chapter six. Daniel soon proved himself. Now, Daniel was um, Daniel was a Jew who had been taken captive uh, to the city of Babylon, where he had where he had risen through the ranks of the slaves to actually work in the palace of the king, probably as the head administrator, eventually of the whole kingdom. So Daniel is working his way up, and when he got one of his first leadership positions, did well, eventually, here's what happened when Daniel got promoted to the top. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. How's that going to make those people feel? Well, didn't have to, but many of them chose to look at that with insecurity. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some what? Fault. You know what that means? They were keenly aware of their own faults. 
Therefore, they had to go looking for some in Daniel. In the way that Daniel was handling government affairs. The rest of that story I, w- I won't get into. It's, it has a very interesting finish. But as you can imagine, it ends well for Daniel and not so well for those other guys. Because that's always the way it is when I become critical, when we become critical. There's something going on on the inside. Now, when these guys got jealous and when they started to feel insecure, what should they have done? It would have been good for them to to look at Daniel and say, how does he live his life? What are the values that he uses in the workplace? What can I learn from him? How could he help me so that I could learn to live like he lives? But instead of dealing with that heart issue that was going on down in here, they just decided to deal with it in a different way, and they, be, and they turned and became very critical of him. I want to tell you more often than any of us would like to admit, when we become critical of others, it is because we do not like ourselves. And we have something going on in here that we're not dealing with. And that's why the little prop I have for this is an x-ray. Because the idea is when I become critical of others, I should look in. Because there's something going on in here that's causing me to be critical of everyone out there. So if you can remember... The magnifying glass, the Barbie car, and the x-ray, you will have this whole message in a nutshell. Got that? Yeah. Because the key to handling criticism and critical people is all in how we look at it. Let me tell you one other key that comes from how we look. And that is, we sang a song a while ago that I cry all the way through. Every, team, every single time I sing that song, you're a good, good father. Same God. What would cause one person to look at God and say, you're a good, good father? And another person to look at God and say, what business do you have with my life? Well, oftentimes, It's how we choose to look at God. And sometimes we can look at God in a very distorted way. I've learned over the years of pastoring people that God gets blamed for a lot of things God has nothing to do with. And when we blame God for things he has nothing to do with, then we don't come away thinking he's a good, good father. But the longer I have lived, the more I have realized that something we sang about and something we celebrated earlier in this service is the key turning point in all of human history. If you came last week, last week I talked about a gap that's in every one of our lives. The gap between the person that we are and the person we know we should be. And how we tend to deal with that gap. But one of the things that I taught us is that God looked at us and said, I will get in your gap with you. And I will begin, first of all, to forgive that gap. And then to begin to close that gap. For all of us, 
Here's the person we are today, sometimes critical, more critical than we should be. Here's the person we know we should be. We have a good, good father who gets in that gap with us, who forgives us, but who also works to change us. And he gives us this wonderful promise slash invitation. And I I, I just wanted to read it to you. It comes from the lips of Jesus himself. Here's the promise and the invitation. Those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Taking just a minute to to process that. Do you realize what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, I'm offering something, and it's something that you can take into you. And he uses the picture of water because water is not something, yes, you can pour it on you and it'll be refreshing. You can do all sorts of things with it. But when water truly becomes life-giving, you have to ingest it. You have to take it in. You have to take it all the way in. And Jesus said, you can hear about my message. You can study my life. You can read the stories that I teach. You can do all this stuff. You can pour all the stuff all over you. And you can actually live a little bit better and feel a little bit more refreshed. But Jesus said, if you will take what I really offer you, which is myself, and you will take it into your soul, then Jesus says, here's what happens. I make your soul this fountain of life. And the more we live in that space, the less critical we are of ourselves and of others. And the more grace we have to extend to those around us because it's very difficult to give grace unless you have received it. And the greatest giver of grace is the one who made that invitation. So for those of us who are, who, who are just checking out Jesus, if you can't point to a time in your life where you made the decision, today I choose to take Jesus into my heart and I choose to trust him to forgive me of my sins and I choose to follow him with the rest of my life, I want to tell you one of the greatest reasons you should do that is because you will never get that anywhere else. And today is the best time to do that. This morning, you can do that. I'm going to pray a prayer in a minute. You can pray that prayer, and it will get you started on that journey. It's not a magical prayer. It's it's not something that you can just memorize and say over and over again. But it's a prayer that indicates a decision in your heart, and the decision is a decision of faith. For the rest of us who have already made that decision, This morning would be a great time to say, you know, I may have some work to do in my life in this area of being critical. And therefore, one of the things that I should do is I should listen to the podcast again this week. And for some of us, as we've listened to this message, or as we listen to it later on this week through the podcast, a person's face is going to pop up on the screen of our mind. Now, it's really easy for these to pop up. Have you noticed that? Because the problem is with them, okay? But occasionally, and for some of us, a person's face is going to pop up on the screen of our mind and it's going to be somebody we've been overly critical of. It might be one of our children. It might be a sibling. It might be our husband or our wife. It might be a coworker. 
might be our boss. And we know that what we need to do is go and apologize and make that right. I want to encourage us to do that. There is freedom on the other side of apology. A wonderful freedom. So whatever it is, I'm going to pray, lead us in this moment of decision. You make that decision. Indicate it on the backside of your Connect card so I can pray with you this week. If you make the decision to become a Christian today, that first-time decision, I want to put some resources in your hands to help you get started in the right direction. Let's pray. Father, I bless you for my friends this morning who sit right here at a turning point in life. For some of us, there's already a person's face that's popped up. God, here's our promise to you. We'll go search that person out, and we will personally apologize, and we will ask to be forgiven. Because, God, we want to be people who are not critical. We don't want to be the person who brings people down. We want to be that person that builds them up. So, God, would you give us the grace and the ability to fix whatever damage we have done? For some of us, God, we need to go back and listen to this. Even as we listen to it a second time, would you bring things into our life? Would you bring things up on the screen of our mind that we might have missed the first time? Because they would be very helpful for us. And Lord, for those of us that this is our morning, this is our moment to say from this day on, my life changes forever, not because I can change it, but because Jesus can. Would you give us grace to step into that decision? Friend, if you're ready to make that decision, here's the prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for not being critical of me and my faults. Thank you for paying the penalty for my sins by dying on a cross for me. Today, I ask for your forgiveness, and I choose to follow you with the rest of my life. I pray it in your name. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.